I am sitting in the Oval Office with a pen in hand, waiting for our senators to give it to me. I have pen in hand. But with all of that being said, it has to get passed. They have to do it. They have to get together and get it done. Yeah. Mitch has to pull it off. He's working very hard. He's got to pull it off. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show where we tackle Donald Trump and all the mayhem around him. I'm Jamel Bowie, Slate's chief political correspondent and your host for today's show. While the president struggles with the latest revelations around Russia and his campaign, his allies in Congress struggle to pass their health care bill. This afternoon, Senate leadership released a new version of the bill. This one would let insurers deny coverage based on pre-existing conditions, charge higher rates to sick people, and maintain the deep Medicaid cuts of previous drafts. As with those drafts, deductibles would rise for most Americans, as would overall health care costs. Health insurers could bring back bare-bones plans with little coverage, and individuals could pay health premiums using pre-tax dollars, a provision which, critics say, helps high earners the most. Somewhat oddly, the new bill keeps some of the taxes aimed at wealthy Americans, an investment tax and a Medicare surtax, but it doesn't use that money to increase subsidies or slow Medicaid cuts. It just goes to deficit reduction. It's those Medicaid cuts, which would decimate the program over the long term, that serve as the greatest obstacle to the bill's success. More moderate Republicans, like Maine's Susan Collins, opposes those cuts and plans to vote no on advancing the bill. And other Republicans, like Nevada's Dean Heller and Alaska's Lisa Murkowski, are wavering. Kentucky's Rand Paul is also a no, and while his stated reasons come from the right, it is also true that his constituents rely on Medicaid for health insurance. None of this is to say the bill won't pass. Mitch McConnell is an incredibly skilled strategist, and he is committed to satisfying the promise of repeal and replace. But it is an uphill climb, and at this point, it's still hard to see where the path ends. To talk about the politics of this Republican health care bill, we have Patrick Caldwell, a reporter for Mother Jones and an old colleague of mine back from our days at the American Prospect. Hey, Patrick, welcome to Trumpcast. Hey, Jamel. Thanks for having me on. Uh, much fancier uh, production than the times we used to do a podcast in your bedroom sometimes. <laughs> yes. Um, I spoke a little bit about what's in the latest version of this Republican health care bill, but I think the big question is what chances it stand of actually getting through the Senate and then making its way back to the House. And so I know you have been reporting on healthcare uh, and the healthcare bill quite a bit uh, since it came down earlier in the spring. And what is your read so far of the politics of this? Um, where where do you think it's going? I think it's going to be really interesting to see if Mitch McConnell can actually coalesce a majority in his caucus to actually get behind this. Um, it's been interesting to see, you know, it's been, it's easy to follow Congress and get nihilistic and think that they don't actually believe in, they don't care about the policy and they just kind of fall in line with their parties and they vote however their leadership tells them to. But I think the healthcare bill has actually been pretty interesting and in it's revealed a lot of actually pretty fundamental differences between uh, Republican politicians, especially in the Senate, somewhat in the House too, but um, the Senate they each have their own strong opinions and personalities a little bit more distinctly. Uh, you're seeing that come through, that there's different wings of the Republican Party, um, the Rand Pauls, the Ted Cruz's, who are oppositional to any kind of government involvement in healthcare and want to basically get rid, 
get rid of all the Obamacare rules. And then there are some more mainline Republicans or moderates, I guess you'd say. Uh, Susan Collins from Maine has been pretty vocal about wanting to protect Medicaid, um, which this cuts quite a bit. And, you know, there's political decisions and things like that with elections coming up next year and then, you know, 2020, all those sorts of things. But it's actually revealed uh, divisions and beliefs of like what the government should do. Right. I think one of the things that is a little surprising to everyone is that during the Obama years, I guess because of Obama and because there was sort of a unified object to focus on, the Republican caucus in the Senate actually seems very unified. But here we see not just sort of key political differences, sort of tactical differences, but really ideological ones. So you have Republicans like Susan Collins and perhaps Lisa Murkowski and perhaps even Dean Heller in Nevada who don't seem to be completely on board with the project of your Ted Cruz's and your Mike Lee's, which is kind of the, to completely roll back the welfare state. And that is the divide McConnell has to, has to sort of cross. And, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but from my perspective, it seems like McConnell is doing far more to try to keep the, the hard right on board with the bill than he is to really try to satisfy the concerns of those more moderate, still quite conservative, but more moderate senators. Yeah, the latest uh, version of the bill that McConnell released on Thursday, it included some carrots to moderates. It uh, ditched some of the tax cuts that were going to be in the earlier versions and that were in the version the House passed. Um, So there's a little bit fewer handouts to the wealthiest people in the country and that money is then turned back around to fund something like opioid uh, treatment that people like uh, Rob Portman in Ohio are concerned about. Um, So that's, you know, a little bit to reach out to moderates, but most of the things that moderates are concerned about have been uh, Medicaid cuts, uh, which are staggering. It's, you know, we we talk about this a lot as an Obamacare repeal bill, but like the biggest changes in my view are in some ways changes to Medicaid and like fundamentally altering what that program would look like. Um, And that's what moderates have mostly voiced their concerns to about. Um, But instead of kind of tinkering with that, uh, McConnell included language, um, essentially language that Ted Cruz had proposed that would allow insurance companies to ditch the Obamacare era rules that protected people with pre-existing conditions and said that you couldn't charge higher rates for sick people and that you couldn't, um, insurance companies had to only offer plans that provided for a robust package of services. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing that happened in the House at first. At first, it seemed like, you know, the moderates were holding out and going to get their way. And then the last minute when Paul Ryan had trouble, he added in amendments to ditch pre-existing condition and won over the conservatives and then expected that the moderates would fall in line, which happened in the House, but at least initially is not looking as likely to happen in the Senate. Um, after the bill came out on Thursday, Susan Collins was immediately saying that she's still opposed. And Rob Portman was saying probably opposed, looking at it undecided, still a little unclear. But you know, within two hours of the bill coming out, a number of senators were saying that they weren't going to fall in line, which is not a good sign. Yeah. And this, I mean, this kind of gets to, I think, one of the larger questions here, which is that this bill is still kind of staggeringly unpopular. I mean, the last time I checked, which was a couple of weeks ago, the approval ratings or the, or the, the voters who said they liked this bill or like something like it were, I think the highest and went was like 28, 29%. Like not this, I think I saw a, study that suggested this was the most unpopular piece of major legislation Congress has considered in a generation. (laughs) So with that said, 
I mean, to me, it, I still can't quite figure out why the drive to get it done. Why, why the, I mean, why the lack of reticence from more Republicans? I mean, yeah, they're the moderates, but there are plenty of Republicans in Congress who occupy not safe seats necessarily. They're, they're in competitive seats. They could lose their elections, but many of them seem to have signed on to passing this thing. And I can't, I can't, even with the threat of primaries, I can't really figure out why at a certain point, something just is unpopular. Well, it goes back to what you mentioned a few minutes ago, that they've been campaigning on repeal and replace for seven years. And I think there is this belief that this was what got them elected and they have to follow through on it to a certain degree. Um, and the key problem for them with that is that they campaigned on repeal and replace, but they only ever thought about repeal. They never actually kind of contemplated the replace. You know, the Senate and the House actually passed a just straight repeal of Obamacare when Obama was in office and he vetoed it. And they could get those votes really easily because everyone in Congress knew that it was never going to pass or actually become law with Obama in office. And so they've ingrained that that first part of it has become completely ingrained in Republican politicians' mind that that's just something that has to happen. But they never actually spent the time to really develop and think through the replacement. And you look at Democrats. It took Democrats decades to actually come up with a plan that, you know, when they had the votes, but even besides that, a plan that they could all coalesce around to be all satisfied with. These things, like, take a lot of political willpower and a lot of cajoling and a lot of consensus building. And they've not been able to do that. Yeah, that's that is one of the interesting things here. Um and it's not just that they Republicans I suppose didn't do the work of building a consensus position on replace, but I, I just recall watching the Romney campaign, watching all kinds of Senate campaigns in 2014 and just listening to Republican rhetoric throughout the past few years or the past 7 years. And it wasn't just the promise. The promise wasn't just we'll repeal and replace, but we'll, we'll, we will repeal and we'll make your premiums lower. We will repeal and we'll cover everyone. They're essentially promising in a lot of ways that they'll do Obamacare except better. And I think that has become the big rhetorical obstacle because this has been said before many times, but the Affordable Care Act is sort of like what conservative health reform looked like 10 years ago. And there isn't really an alternative to that, that that maintains the principle of universal coverage. And it doesn't seem like Republicans are willing to say out loud that they oppose the principle of universal coverage. And so altogether, when you have these promises and this rhetoric and this lack of attention paid to developing an alternative, you do kind of get this very incoherent bill um, in this weird kind of political situation where everyone seems to recognize within the GOP that the bill is incoherent, but no one seems to be willing to say, this is why we shouldn't do it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, it is a tricky uh, bind that they put themselves in that, especially, you know, Donald Trump didn't do them any favors to during the campaign saying it was going to be the best possible plan. It was going to you know provide even more insurance and it's going to be even cheaper and, you know, n- no Medicaid would get cut and all those lofty promises that are there are trade-offs to these things. It's, it's, healthcare is a very intricate, complicated process, uh, especially I've been reading the bills pretty thoroughly of late and trying to wade into exactly how healthcare regulation works. It's a very complex system with a lot of interlocking pieces that rely upon each other. Um, and that's part of the reason why the Affordable Care Act worked is it was a, uh, it tackled the totality of that. 
And Republicans don't quite want to do that. You know, they uh, protecting pre-existing conditions was a pretty popular uh, component of that. And in order to do that, you have to do all these other 10 different things to make sure insurance companies don't explode and their financials uh, carry on. But a lot of those things are against Republican ideology in terms of raising taxes or regulations. Um, and so they've kind of put themselves in a bind, especially as you said, you know, none of them want to come out against universal coverage explicitly. Uh, and none of them want to say that they're okay with millions of people losing their insurance. But to tear down the structure that Obamacare built, it's kind of hard to have a replacement that would be conservative yet not result in that, at least initially. Patrick, do you think that McConnell would ever go to Trump for sort of the for presidential help, for sort of the help of the bully pulpit to get this thing through? That's a good question. I mean, typically when Congress, uh, you know, majority of the same party of Congress has a sympathetic president, that's a normal thing to have happen. You know, Obama would call members of the Democratic caucus to convince them to sign up and support the ACA uh, back when it was first being debated. Trump seems a little bit different. You know, it's funny that McConnell rolled out his new bill on Thursday and was uh, selling it as, you know, quickly moving forward on a vote. And the president wasn't even in the country to be around and help whip up votes for that. The other problem, too, is that Trump does not necessarily seem very, trying to think of a generous way to phrase this, invested in the details of policy. Personally, sadly, Donald Trump is not eager to grant interviews to Mother Jones these days. But I would just love to sit him down and talk about Medicaid caps and subsidy levels and see if he actually has opinions about this. I'm willing to guess the president doesn't. And so I wonder, you know, in terms of like actually calling up Susan Collins and convincing her to vote for the bill, I doubt that Trump would be much help. But maybe having him go on the road and rally voters in Maine would be helpful. So theoretically, maybe McConnell could. But I also wonder like, how long Mitch McConnell wants to drag this out. It seems like he's pretty eager to wash his hands of it within the next two to three, four weeks and move on whether passing a bill or not. And having Trump out there whipping people up uh, is not going to make it go away faster. So one last question. And this is actually a two-part question. The first part is, do you think the kind of wishy-washy behavior from some of the Senate moderates, do you think that is choreographed? Do you think that's sort of McConnell letting people um, sort of voice their concerns in a way that maybe brings reduces some of the heat on the caucus and, and lets them pass this? Or do you think it's sincere? And then part two is, if it's sincere, do you think McConnell would let the bill fail? I mean, do you think that if, if he didn't have the votes, he would hold the vote and let it just crash and burn and move on? Um, for part one, I... Yeah, who knows what's happening behind the scenes? Uh, they do seem pretty sincere in their objections. I think if they, if this all was cover, then McConnell wouldn't have had to pull his stunt before the 4th of July of saying that the bill was going to come up for a vote. The bill was going to come up for a vote. Oh, wait, never mind. We're going to go home and keep thinking about it and t- keep tinkering with it. Um, that's not the type of thing you do um, if you are secretly just allowing people to say whatever, but then they're going to come back to you in the end. As far as whether he'll put it up for a vote, that will be, I, ho- I hope he does, because I would like to see <laughs> it actually go down and see how people, uh, I want to see what actual senators, which ones will be in favor of and which won't. But politicians generally are kind of wary about doing that. It is interesting. You know, McConnell has 
a very he's a very well respected political figure in DC as a savvy behind the scenes mover and all th- everything like that. And during the Obama years, he was amazing at leading his caucus and uh, being oppositional to the president. But since he's been majority leader, he hasn't necessarily passed a major piece of legislation, which is a very different task than convincing a bunch of senators to block a nomination or to oppose the stimulus or oppose passing the ACA at the beginning. And and I think that's going to be an interesting test for him and looking at what sort of majority leader he will be in a era when he has a president who can actually sign bills. And this is the first time he's really actually been able to confront that. I have been speaking with Patrick Caldwell, a reporter with Mother Jones, and we have been talking about the Senate health care bill and the politics around it. Thank you, Patrick, for joining me on Trumpcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jamil. And that's today's show. One more thing before you take off your headphones. Are you following Trumpcast on Twitter? The whole Trumpcast team is on there, and it's a great place to look if you want to share some clips from our recent shows with your friends, your family, or just a stranger who also listens to podcasts. We're at Real Trumpcast. That's at Real Trumpcast. Today's show was produced by Jason DeLeon. I'm Jamel Bowie. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.